Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, I am very happy and grateful to be here at the end of the fourth international conference on Shia studies, something that we are building together and we hope that it would remain and would grow and become a major hub for anyone involved in Shiite studies to exchange their ideas and experiences and collaborate. We also hope that in future we would have a kind of addition to this as we discussed right from the first time that the conference would have two phase, one in London, one in Kohn, So what I want to share with you is some reflections on the concept of religion, deen, and the concept of book, kitab, based on the Quran. This is part of an ongoing research that I am involved in and I am discussing it a lot with some Muslim and Christian colleagues uh, in Italy, in UK and Canada. So I hope what I am going to share with you would be clear despite the limitations of the time. The notion of the people of the book, or Ahlul Kitab, is a familiar notion to those involved in Islamic studies in general. An Islamic understanding of other religions in particular. However, there seems to be a still great need for further research in this area. In this paper, I will refer to one aspect of the Quranic notion of the people of the book, which I think is actually one of the most fundamental aspects of this notion. But in order to do so, I will try also to refer to the general framework that the Quran gives us about religions, and then we will try to see how the notion of the people of the book fits into that framework. As you know, in Arabic, kitab is normally translated as book. But if we go deeper in analyzing the term kitab, it doesn't need actually to be a book. Kitab is what can be written. So it doesn't necessarily mean that this has already been written and is in a format of a book. Although, most of the time, it is used for something which is written down or printed. So, when we say, for example, that God has given a book to a prophet, or for example, you know, when the Quran says that Jesus, right, after birth, it doesn't mean that he was carrying a book. This doesn't necessarily mean that. So, for the Quran, we have 
the term book like we have for other scriptures. For the Quran, we also have the expression of hadith. Hadith here, this is different from hadith that we use for narrations. This hadith is also, it means a speech because divine word, divine speech. Also, we have qawl, again, word. And we have kitab. So, now, when you go to the Quran and want to identify all different occurrences of the term kitab, you have to be careful. Sometimes it may refer to the Quran in particular. Sometimes it may refer to other divine scriptures. And sometimes even might be other things that can be written down. So, when it comes to the Quran itself, for example, ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه In the beginning of second chapter of the Quran. So this al-kitab refers to the Quran. But al-kitab can also be general. For example, in the famous uh, verse that we uh, often quote when we talk about <coughs> dialogue, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ So, يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ doesn't mean يَا أَهْلَ الْقُرْآنِ قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ is used in a more general sense. But what I want to argue is unlike what many people think, Ahlul Kitab is not only Jews and Christians and Zoroastrians and Sabbites. Ahlul Kitab includes Muslims as well. Muslims are also Ahlul Kitab. Plus, I want to argue that according to Quran, Al Kitab is only one. So, Quran, Torah, Gospel are different versions of the same book. Not different books. We don't have different books. One book, one author, but different versions. So this is what I want to explain here. So the people of the book is a general title for all who believe in and follow a divinely revealed book. So this is common among Jews, Christians, Zoroastrians, Sabaites, and it seems also that it includes Muslims themselves. I had this idea for some time. Uh, recently, about a year ago, I came across a paper presented by the late Allama Muhammad Taqi Jafari in an interfaith gathering in Switzerland many years ago. And actually, he also makes the same point that Ahlul Kitab includes Muslims. And he's a very renowned uh, contemporary Muslim philosopher and scholar. So, it is up to the context that you can realize whether Ahlul Kitab is used in the way that includes Muslim as well, or it's used for non-Muslims who believe divine revelation. The same is with the term Kitabi. Sometimes when you go to fiqh, when you go to the hadith, you find the expression of kitabi, and it's very clear that it is used for non-Muslim believers in divine revelation. But the Quran is using Ahlul Kitab in the general sense. So based on the context, you can understand. So, first I will try to explain what is the whole concept of the book and then the concept of deen 
in Islam, according to Quran, which, of course, is our main source. And although we very much believe in the authority of the authentic hadith, but no authentic hadith can stand as equal to the Quran or next to the Quran. It just comes as explanation of the Quran. And when it comes to accuracy, nothing is as accurate and precise as the Quran. And I have many examples how when you go to the Quran, you see it's much more accurate than when you go to secondary Islamic texts. So let's see what is the way that the Quran uses the term the book and the term deen. The way we normally look at the reality of religion or religions is that unfortunately we think we have different religions. They are totally partitioned and separated from each other. They have different founders. Islam is founded by Prophet Muhammad. Christianity, for example, is founded by Jesus. Or some people try to find another founder. Judaism is founded by Moses or, you know, Jacob or whatever. So we think, based on what we are being taught in the courses of history of religions and the books on history of religions, we think that we have different religions. There is no connection between them, and each of them has its own founder. Sometimes this goes even further. Even we have the same understanding that we have about religions, about denominations of the same religion. As if there is a wall between Sunni and Shia Islam. As if they came like this from heaven, and no one can even dare of crossing the border. Or, you know, Catholicism and Protestantism. So, even there was a time, and still, of course, this problem is there, but as you know, in Europe, Catholics, Protestants used to fight each other, used to kill each other, used to not recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And still, in the Muslim world, unfortunately, we have this problem that there are some Muslims who are happy to kill other Muslims, not thinking they are killing a Muslim, they think they are killing a Kafir, who is even worse than a non-Muslim. Why? Because they think their understanding of Islam is designed by God, is coming with fixed borders. Anything outside those borders is not recognized. But this is not the way the Quran talks about religions, let alone about sects or denominations. When we look at the Quran, we never find, if anyone knows any case, you know, please let me, I can, you know, change my understanding. We don't find anywhere the Quran says that a prophet said, I have brought you a new religion. Even my understanding of the Bible and what my Christian friends and Jewish friends say is the same, but I'm not expert on Christianity. I am familiar, but not expert. So I leave it to my colleagues to say about this. But as far as the Quran is concerned, we don't find any prophet saying, I have brought you a new religion. 
We don't find in the Quran Jesus as founder of Christianity or Moses as founder of Judaism or Prophet Muhammad as founder of Islam. Actually, it's quite opposite. The Quran tells us that there is one line of prophecy and they all called towards the same religion. The Quran says it was the people who gave different names to this reality. Some people called it Judaism. Some people called it Christianity. Maybe some people were expecting that Prophet Muhammad would give a new name. But the Prophet actually, by calling this Islam, invited everyone to go back to the original name. The Prophet refused to give a new name. Because one of the things that can be sometimes very destructive is to give a name to something. To give a name is a way for understanding, but sometimes it's very dangerous. Because when you give a name, sometimes forever, you make it distinct from other things. So you have to be always careful. Sometimes, for example, we have some differences of opinions among the scholars. Some people tend to call this, this is a new way of Shiism. This is a new ferqa. This is a new sect. This is wrong. This can after some years will be solved out and you know sorted out but if you give a name then there is a danger that this name can remain forever and people think because of this name they belong to a new branch or new sect so we have to be very careful maybe if in the beginning the name of Sunni Shia were not given right now we didn't have that problem that we have today Actually, when we look at the early centuries, if we look at our imams and followers of imam, you see the distinction is not like what we have today. We have people in the family of the imams, they are called the same name as some of the caliphs. We have very good relation there. But right now, it's very difficult for us. We think that we belong to two different worlds. If you are Sunni or Shia, two different worlds. This is not Islamic. The same is about Islam and Christianity and Judaism. We are not different religions. The Quran says, it's very beautiful, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ دِينًا مِمَّنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْحَهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسَنُ وَاتَّبَعَ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا Who is better in his religion than the one who submits his face to God and he is a benefactor and follows the tradition of Abraham? So our prophet says, I follow the tradition of Abraham. I am Abrahamic. Jesus was Abrahamic. Moses was Abrahamic. We should all go back to Abraham. But who was Abraham? He was a follower of Noah. So Abraham is very important because this is the first meeting point. If we go back to Abraham, then the rest of the journey we go together. So, it's one religion. But people, unfortunately, have given different names. I don't say we don't have differences in our theology. We don't have differences in our jurisprudence. No, we have lots of differences. But these differences don't make us followers of different religions. You can have all these differences, but you have to compare them to a more general framework. 
Because something very important is that differences and commonalities do not have the fixed weight and value. This is something very important. You know, some people, when they compare religions, when they compare schools of the same religion, they say, okay, we list what we agree on and what we disagree. They do it with all honesty and good intention to say, you know, we don't just differ, we have lots of commonalities. We believe in one God. So this is one point. We, are, we believe in the need of humanity for guidance. We believe in the hereafter. We believe that we have free will and responsibility. So they count these things. And then in the other column, they mention our differences. For example, we follow different, for example, uh, a scripture. Or for example, we say our prayer differently. And things like that. But I think this is, again, another damaging thing that we may do. Giving a name can be very much damaging. And also just counting mathematically can be very destructive. Because you don't understand the value just by counting. We believe in God of Abraham. 99% we are in common. If you are really submissive to God, if you have... Submitted your face, aslama wajhahu illallahi wa huwa muhsin. So, how much we differ? Our theological differences are not to be compromised, but they are not as great as God. They are not as great as submission to God. Unfortunately, many times we forget submission to God and then we fight about how to submit to God. Have you first submitted yourself to God and that now you try to understand better how to submit? Or you are using this as an excuse to run away from submission to God. This is the problem. So, how many religions we have? We have one. Any religion which has originated from God is a branch, a part, a manifestation, a presentation of one reality. Once I was in, uh, my friend was in Lopiano with some of the priests, Catholic priests, and we had discussion about Muslim-Christian relation. And I told them, my understanding is that God over history has sent different prophets and messengers. They had to speak different languages. Because we know all the prophets talk according to the language of the people. They spoke in different languages. They spoke according to the understanding of people. So they had to speak according to the understanding of people, according to the language of people. They had to address some general issues, but also some particular issues of that context. Then, people thought, these are different religions. These are different realities. But, in the end of time, when humanity grows and becomes mature in his understanding, and is able to perfectly measure what we agree and what we disagree and give everything its due weight, you would see, we would no longer have different schools. 
a school of Islam under Prophet Muhammad or a school of Christianity under Jesus or a school of Judaism under Moses. I think in the end of time you would not have different schools. You would have only one school. And that's a school of God. That school would have different programs, different classes, different teachers. But authority only belongs to God. Curriculum comes from God. Evaluation is also only by God. No one can judge and no one can mark except God. This is my understanding and I think this is the way the Quran is teaching us. So, if we look at the Quran, I'll make it very short. You see the Quran says that the prophets brought one book. The Quran says, Ja'athum Rusuluhum Bilbayanate Wazubure Wal Kitab al Munir. This is actually repeated in the Quran. Their messengers brought them manifest signs, as scriptures, but when it comes to the Kitab, the Quran doesn't say Wal Kutub al Munir, illuminating books. Rusul is plural. Bayanat is plural, Zubur is plural, but when it comes to book, it's singular. Wal Kitab al Munir. The prophets didn't bring different books. If you compile an encyclopedia and put all your knowledge and resources and energy and manpower in doing, in doing this encyclopedia, you are not going to rewrite it. You are going either to reprint it or release another edition. <laughs> you are not going to rewrite it. God never rewrites. These books are not rewritten. These books are different manifestations. Different editions of the same reality. And actually they all originate from another book. Which is the hidden book. إِنَّهُ لَقُرْآنٌ كَرِيمٌ فِي كِتَابٍ Maknoon. That's the main book. That is Ummul Kitab. That's the mother of the book. That is Lohe Mahfuz. That is knowledge of God and wisdom of God and light of God from which all these representations originate. Once a person asked me, then what do you do with those places in the Quran that we have Kutub? For example, آمن الرسول بما أنزل إليه من ربه والمؤمنون كل آمن بالله وكتبه ورسله. The believers believe in God and His books and messengers. Or a bad lady, Mary, Maryam سلام الله عليها, صدقت بكلمات ربها وكتبه. She confirmed the words of her Lord and His books. So. I said, first of all, the Quran would not contradict itself. So, if Quran sometimes says books, and sometimes say book, there's a reason. And my understanding is this. When God talks about what He gave to the prophets to bring, He uses Kitab. When God talks about what is in the hands of people, He uses Kutub. We have Kutub. But God sent one book. 
جاءت هم رسولهم بالبينات والزبور والكتاب المنير but we as believers now we have kutub our journey is to start with kutub and then find one common book this is our journey and when we get to that common book we are closer to God than when we are dealing with different realities because you can only see the power of God and the beauty of God when there is unity when there is division and separation you are somehow limiting the greatness of God if you are not able to see God in other faithful communities and other faithful places of worship there is a problem you know once I said there was a program to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation so I was giving this talk in a Lutheran church in Edmonton in Canada and I said it seems that for religious people to find the face of God in another religious tradition is very difficult the Quran tells us everywhere you turn the face of God is there seek the face of God everywhere but for us it's very difficult to find the face of God in another sect or another religion why is it because God is not at work there or because I am limited I should be able to see God at work everywhere Muslim mystics have the idea that even idol worshippers they worship God Ibn Arabi says no one has ever worshipped or loved anyone other than God but we are not able to see even God in Christianity or Islam or Judaism so this is not Quranic now when it comes to religion I mentioned only one point and I finish the Quran uses the term religion the Quran doesn't use the term religions adyan it's one religion that religion is religion of submission to God that religion is religion of truthfulness compared to this religion is religion of falsehood the Quran tells us that there are only two possible ways anything else goes back to this religion of truth and religion of falsehood when the Quran says Lakum dinukum waliya deen refers to this. There is a verse which is mentioned in the Quran more than once, and some people have unfortunately misunderstood this verse. The Quran says about the end of time. He is the one who has sent his messenger with guidance. And what? Deen al-Haq. Many people translate this true religion. This is not Deen al-Din al-Haq. This is Deen al-Haq. This is Mudaf and Mudaf Religion of the truth, not true religion. Religion of the truth is truthfulness. Religion of the truth is not Islam against Christianity or Judaism or vice versa. And therefore, 
It says at the end, walau karahal mushrikun, not walau karahal nasara wal yahud. Anything who is truthful would be dominant and victorious. Anyone who is not truthful would not have good end, whether he's a Muslim or non-Muslim. It's a matter of how truthful you are, not what you claim. So, the religion that God is pleased with is the religion of submitting yourself wholeheartedly, unconditionally to the absolute truth, absolute beauty, absolute love, absolute kindness. That is the religion that God wants everyone to struggle. No one can say, I have reached it, because it's a journey. No one can say, I own it. You are just a servant. You are just a traveler on this path. But this path has to be traveled together. God doesn't want us to travel alone. The Quran says, Ittaqullah wa kunu ma'as sadiqin. Inna al-insan lafi khusr. It has to be collective. This is a journey that we have to go together. All faithful people, all people whose heart beats for the truth, they have to work together. And if we work together, who would resist the attraction of love for God and faith in God when he has, it has already united different people? I pray that God the Almighty would help us to understand his message and to commit ourselves to that absolute truth together. Thank you very much. Alhamdulillah.